Beyonce had her Miss Carter tour that went around the world, went around the United States. And I don't know if she came to Dallas, probably Dallas, probably Houston, maybe San Antonio, maybe Austin. I don't know where the tour went. But when a, a band comes or a singer comes to a, a, a concert venue, obviously they get paid, but they also have what's called a rider in their contract. And, and it's the list of things that you have to do if you're going to have the artist come to your city. Okay, like even for Camp Collide, when we bring in bands and things like that, we have riders. Now, their riders aren't crazy. They're usually things like, we need, we need you to provide healthy food, not just camp food. And we're like, okay, we get that. And usually they're like, we need some bottled waters for when we lead worship. Okay, got that. But Beyonce's rider for the Mrs. Carter tour was a little bit outlandish. Here's some things that were in the rider. Everyone at the venue, like if she came to Georgetown and some, we were hosting it and people are going to load her stuff in and out, every person that was part of the, 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 the concert experience had to wear 100% cotton clothes at all times. That was just part of the rider. Another part of the rider was she had to have water, alkaline water, chilled to 21 degrees and $900 titanium straws to drink out of. Every toilet seat had to be brand new, and red toilet paper had to be installed in all of the bathrooms. She had to have hand-carved ice balls to soothe her throat after she got done singing. And her dressing room, the, the dimensions of it, it had to be all newly furnished. That was one of the things, all new furniture. And it had to be the size of what would have been like an NFL locker room where all the players gather. So if you, if, you gave all of, if you did all of those things and paid her, she'd come to your city. But if you went, hey, listen, we're not hand-carving ice balls for your throat, no go. Concert's canceled, not coming. Takes a lot to get Beyonce to Georgetown. You know what I'm saying? I mean, or wherever she's going to go. It takes a lot. Last week, we started this series called The Miracle of Christmas, this two-week series. And, and tonight, we, you know, we're, we're talking about Christmas when, when Jesus came to earth, when Jesus came to town. And the crazy thing is, I dare say that when it comes to who's more popular and who's more famous, who's more powerful, who's cooler to hang out with, Jesus is going to trump Beyonce any day. And when Jesus came to town, his rider didn't include anything that you would expect that the God of the universe would require to leave heaven to come to us. And so tonight, last, or last week, Jesus, uh, David talked about the miracle of the method. Tonight, we're talking about the miracle of the manger. And we're going to look at, at what, what Jesus came to when he came to be with us. You see, we've got this, like, we've got this idea that there's an ordinary life and there's an extraordinary life, right? Beyonce's living an extraordinary life. What we're going to see tonight as we get into the scriptures, this is that Jesus came to make the ordinary extraordinary. And, and, and he's done that in, in my life. He's done that in some of your lives. And we're going to see how, how he does that in the scripture. And that's, that's good for us to hear. Because for, for us, like, we, we are inundated every day. You guys had messages through uh, television, through music, through movies, on social media. Uh, you get in commercials. And, and all of those messages basically say, hey, there's something out there that's better and you're not living it. You know, that, a lot, social media does that a lot. I mean, you realize like social media, we know scientifically like affects us emotionally. It pushes people into depression because they get on Snapchat or Instagram or whatever, and they see pictures that, that look extraordinary. What they don't realize is that the person took 43 pictures and chose the best one. 
And we go, oh man, they look perfect. And, and, and they post their pictures of their vacation to Hawaii and, and, and you're at home. And, and they post, you know, they're out to, with their friends at the movies and you don't have anybody to hang out with. And, and what we do is we go, man, my life stinks. But you know what they don't do? The people who are, are maybe in Hawaii or out movies, friends, when, when they're being yelled at by their parents, they're not Snapchatting that. I mean, like, yeah, hey, yelled at my parents again, hashtag every day. You know what I mean? You don't see the bad things because social media is all about putting up the good things. It's about image maintenance. And so we see these things all the time. They go, man, there's an extraordinary life that everybody else has, and I have an ordinary life. And if I can get to that, then I'll be satisfied. Then life will be, life will be great. And, and that's really not true whatsoever. Jesus comes to, to take our ordinary life and, and make it extraordinary. But we just we just don't see it. So when I was growing up, there was a band called Van Halen. Anybody even know who they are? Okay, thank you, Collier. Uh, they were great, you know, one of those 80s rock band. And like 80, every 80s rock band, uh, they broke up because they started hating each other and fighting, you know. And then, you know, a couple years ago, in the, in, you know, in the late, you know, 2000s, they get back together and they go on a world tour and everybody that's in their 30s and 40s gets excited. And David Lee Roth, who was the lead singer of Van Halen, has joined back to the band they're no longer fighting, and they're going on a world tour, and we are sitting at Ticketmaster waiting to buy the tickets to see them. Go buy tickets, go see the concerts, incredible, relive like, you know, my high school years. But one of the things that's different, David Lee Roth was there, their famous lead singer, but the bassist was different. The bassist who I had grown up listening to was no longer with the band. He had been replaced by the guy with the yellow bass in the center of the picture. Now, the guy in the red pants, that's Eddie Van Halen who Van Halen's named after him, who's a guitarist, and his brother, Alex Van Halen, who's the drummer. The guy with the yellow bass is Wolfgang Van Halen, which is, which is an unfortunate name. Um, but Wolfgang Van Halen is Eddie's son. And he started with a band when he was 16 years old. So try that on for size for a second. At 16 years old, on a Tuesday night, you sat with a tutor trying to figure out Algebra 2, and Wolfgang Van Halen was playing for 30,000 people in Cleveland, right? 16 years old, you, you were trying to pass your driver's license test. He was on a tour bus headed to Madison Square Garden where tens of thousands of people are going to scream and cheer for him. And we look at things like that, and we go, well, that guy's arrived. Man, that, that's the life. That guy's famous. He's got it all together. He's making more money than my parents are, and he's 16 years old. My life is just ordinary. And then, and then there's those spiritual stories, right? You, you've heard some of the stories. There's a lady named Cynthia Spoon. She, she tells this story of her life. She, as an adult, she had uh, fought and overcome cancer, but she had this, this side effect that kind of stayed around after the cancer of the disease, disease called lymphoderma, I believe was what it was called. And so she was battling it. She had a friend who was a doctor and had the opportunity to go to this conference where they were going to be talking about lymphoderma and all of like the brand new treatments and things like that, what they're learning. But the only people that were allowed to go to the conference were, were doctors and, and therapists. They were the only people that you know, had invites. But this lady, Cynthia, had this friend who was a doctor who was going to the conference, and she said, listen, I've got a ticket for you. You're going to be able to go to this exclusive thing that just average people don't get to go to. I've got your conference ticket paid for. You can stay in my hotel. Um, I, we're going to take care of the meals. You don't have to worry about it. All you've got to do is buy your airfare 
get your airplane ticket to the conference. Well, the airfare was $153.27. And she tells the story about the day that she was supposed to go to the travel agency office at 2 o'clock. She's supposed to meet her friend, the doctor friend, at the travel agent to pay her money for the airplane ticket. So final thing, and then they're they're set to go. Problem was that Cynthia was broke, didn't have $153.27. In fact, before she was heading to the uh, travel agent's office, she went to eat with some of her friends, and, and sitting around the table was this lady that was a missionary to Romania that, that was headed back to Romania, and that's why they were eating lunch together. And, and she just felt like God laying on her heart that you need to pick up the tab for the missionary. And so she took the last 20 bucks out of her pocket and paid for her meal and the missionary's meal. And she said she went and sat in the car, and she was just wrestling with God, going, God, you've provided this opportunity for me to, to go to this incredible conference and, and I mean, everything's free, but the airfare, I don't have the airfare. And she says, I, I even started thinking about uh, the stories in the Bible where, where, where they came, they asked Jesus about paying taxes. And Jesus told Peter to go uh, fishing. And, and he said, go grab a fish and open its mouth. And when, when Peter opened the fish's mouth, there was a coin in there that was enough to pay the taxes. It's a story that happened in the New Testament, Jesus did. And she said, I was thinking about that story. And she said, I just started praying, God, I need, I need a fish. And she said, as she was praying that, one of her friends who she'd been eating lunch with came out of the restaurant, and she was parked behind her in the parking lot. And she said what caught her attention, her friend was like, got inside the car, and then got out, and then got back inside the car. And she, she noticed it all through a rearview mirror, and Cynthia said, what? You know, it's kind of odd. I don't know what's going on. Maybe she's got, like, car trouble or something. And about that time, her friend got out of the car again, and she walked to the Cynthia's window, and Cynthia rolled down the window, and she said, listen. She said she was red in the face. She looked all embarrassed. And she said, listen, I, I don't know how to say this to you. This is just weird, but... A couple of weeks ago, uh, or a couple months ago, I felt, like, I felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me that I just need to start putting some of my spare change and stuff in an envelope for you. And, I, and I, I've been praying about it, and I just, I just, it felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me to just hand you this envelope. And she throws it into the window and goes back to her car. She feels weird. It's kind of a weird story. And Cynthia says she opens up the envelope, and it's all small bills and change, and she adds it up, and it's $153.27. You ever heard stories like that? And I'm like, those things, those things have never happened to me. I mean, God's done great blessing in my life, but stories like that, you're like, what? I mean, they're so crazy that you go, I don't, I don't even know if I believe that. That's so outlandish. Does God really do things like that? And we hear stories, and we meet somebody that has a story like that, and we go, and we trust the person, and we're like, man, I guess so, but but why doesn't that happen to I me? Mean, my life doesn't have those extraordinary spiritual stories. I just have ordinary stories or, or testimonies. You've heard those testimonies of people, right? Like, like they're the kinds of people there at youth camp or, or you see maybe on TV or something like that. And, you know, they're like, their story is like, man, when I was 17 years old, I was, I was in a Colombian cartel and I was running drugs across the Colombian border. And then I got arrested and I was put into a Colombian prison and they, they handcuffed me to the walls and they took a car battery and jumper cables, and they, they stuck my feet in water and electrocuted me over and over again. And then, and then I escaped, and I made it from Columbia to the United States on foot. And as I crossed the border, the border patrol started chasing me, and, and, and they started shooting at me, in which they don't do. And, and, and I hid in a cave, and I slept in a cave for three nights to survive. And, and on the third night, I woke up, and there was a rattlesnake there, and the rattlesnake bit me on the neck. And I realized that my time had come, I was going to die. And as I started to die, I saw this vision of Jesus. 
And Jesus said, I've come to save you. And, and I cried out to Jesus and I went, yes, Lord, save me. And all of a sudden, the venom disappeared on my body and I survived and I gave my life to Jesus Christ and now I've been touring the world telling people about Jesus. And we're like, well, I, I became a Christian when I was seven. Like, I went to church with a Christian family and a pastor gave a sermon and I raised my hand and said, I want to know Jesus and that's how I got saved. You know, and, and we go, why can't I have a story like that? Why couldn't I have sold drugs? Why couldn't I have been bit by a rattlesnake after sleeping in a cave for three days? God, why didn't I have that? You know, and we think, they've got this extraordinary story. And my story about meeting Jesus is just boring. It's just ordinary. But the, the message of Christmas is this, of many, that Jesus came to make the ordinary extraordinary. So let's look at a passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 2. You there? Go to, go to Luke 2. You get into the, the Gospels, kind of right into the New Testament, you're going to find Matthew and then Mark and then Luke. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. I'm going to read you the story, and then we're going to look at some pieces of it. Verse 8 says this. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger, verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known them the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now, we're gonna, let's, let's go back in a time for a second. When, when, when we think shepherds, some of you guys, like maybe at home now, you've got some Christmas decorations up, and you've got your nativity set, and you've got the manger, and Jesus is in it, and Joseph and Mary are there, and there's a camel and a donkey, you know, taking a break. And then there's like three wise men who are there with the shepherds, which is not how it happened. Historic wise men came way later. We've got them all there. And, and you look at the shepherds, and they're like painted nice, they, 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 you know, they're, they're in a nice like robe and they've got a staff and a goat next to them. But that's really not reality. A shepherd in, in Jesus' time, the Old Testament time, they were, they were like the lowest of the social status. A shepherd's job, this is what they did. They hung out with animals all day long. And at night, they didn't like check in even to the Motel 6. They didn't have a hotel, they didn't have a motel. They slept outside and they would, they would bundle up maybe a part of their robe to make a pillow, and they slept outside under the stars where, 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 and hung out with sheep. They didn't go take a shower every day. Maybe when, when the sheep were drinking at the, at the river, they might have like jumped in to try to wash off. They, they were barely eating. I mean, they were eating whatever they could take with them or whatever they could find or whatever small things they could cook. Nobody, there was nobody that was like at career day, what do you want to do? Well, I want to be a shepherd. 
That, that's what you got stuck with when you couldn't do anything else. That, that was, they, they were the, the lowest of people. And here's the crazy thing. We talk about the ordinary. There was nothing that was more ordinary than a shepherd. And when God left heaven, David talked about this last week, the incarnation, he came to earth. He didn't come like and hang out with kings. He didn't get, he didn't get announced by all of the prophets. He didn't show up at, at First Baptist Jerusalem for everybody to ooh and all over. There wasn't, there, was, there wasn't skies, you know, riding in the sky, uh, hey, the Messiah's here. He shows up in this little town in the middle of nowhere called Bethlehem, which, which at the very most might have had a thousand people in it. And, and the first people that hear about him are the ordinary shepherds. And these ordinary shepherds, they go to this ordinary little town of Bethlehem, and you know the Christmas story. Mary and Joseph didn't have a place to stay, so they end up probably in a cave or a barn or something like that where the animals are staying, and she's giving birth that night, and she gives birth to the Messiah, to God incarnate, God in the flesh, and God spends his first night on earth as an infant wrapped in some cloths, and he's laid in a manger. You know what a manger is? It's a food trough for animals. So, so the Messiah, God is laying there, and like cattle are coming up to eat, and like, mm, nope, that's odd. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a baby in here. And God came to this little ordinary town. He wasn't even in a hospital. He's in, the, he's in the most ordinary of circumstances. He's laid in a food trough, and shepherds, the lowest, the most ordinary people, are the ones who, who show up. Isn't that just like God? to do something that's a little counterintuitive to what we think. And what, what, we're, what we get out of this is this, that Jesus comes to the ordinary to make it extraordinary because as we read the story about Jesus, we get this, we get this taste, this picture of what Jesus is going to do. So go back to this passage of Scripture. The shepherds are there. They're out hanging out with their sheep, looking up at the stars, and the scripture says that all of a sudden, this angel appears out of nowhere. It says the glory of God shone around him. So they're like out on this dark night. There's no street lights. There's the moon and some stars. And all of a sudden, things are lit up because this angel shows up and starts speaking to them. Now, understand this. While these guys are just ordinary guys, their job as shepherds were to protect sheep, which you know what that meant. When wolves came, when bears came, when mountain lions came to, to eat sheep, they, they fought them. They weren't carrying like, you know, like a 357 Magnum. I mean, they're like fighting them with a staff, rocks, their hands. These guys are tough guys. And the angel shows up, and it's such this overwhelming experience. It says that they freak out. The scripture says that they, that they fall back. They were filled with great fear. They weren't filled with fear. They were filled with great fear because something extraordinary has happened. And the angel says, hey, Chill out. Don't be afraid. I've come with good news. And right about the time they catch their breath, and, he, and they're already thinking, oh my goodness, my, my, my kids aren't going to believe this. I'm going to tell my grandchildren about this one day. An angel, I've seen an angel, and the angels told me that, that I'm going I'm to see the Messiah, what our people have been waiting for for thousands of years. Right when they kind of catch their breath and the moment starts to take, take you know, in on them, Scripture says a whole host of angels show up. Like one angel shows up and he's like, hey, everybody. And they're like, ah! And he's like, calm down. And then all of a sudden, all of these angels show up and they all start singing praise to God. 
This is an extraordinary moment on the most ordinary of nights. And it's this glimpse, it's this picture of what Jesus coming to earth means to us. It means he comes to the ordinary to make it extraordinary. And so here's the good news for us. Your ordinary testimony and your ordinary life through the power of Jesus in you can lead to an extraordinary life. That doesn't mean you're going to be Wolfgang Van Halen playing bass for a rock band every night of the week. Doesn't that mean you're going to be rich or something like that or powerful? But it means that you have the opportunity for the next 70 years of your life or, or however long you're on this place being prepared for an extraordinary place called heaven that the God who created everything wants to live inside you and walk with you to to lay out life for you in its very best. That's that's pretty incredible. So what do we do? What do we do? Let me give you this, and I'm going to challenge you to think through this week. We've We've got to start looking for God at work around us. We've got to start looking for God doing the extraordinary in the ordinary. The problem is, is, is you and I, we're not, we're not used to that. We, we, get, we get caught up in just our, our everyday life, and, and we do the same thing, the same routine, and, and it's very difficult for us sometimes to see God at work. But what I want to challenge you guys to do this week is to start looking for Jesus and what he wants to do in the middle of some very ordinary things. That's hard to do because we're not used to it. But what if, what if you go home tonight? And you just strike up a spiritual conversation of some sort with your folks. It's a very ordinary thing. Not, nothing crazy. But, but maybe it is this one conversation that's going to be had sometime this week with your family that God begins to do something extraordinary in. And what if that conversation is the catalyst to quite literally change the spiritual landscape of your home? Because you asked your parents a spiritual question. But what if tomorrow when you go to school, what, what if as you try to love God and love people and you're trying to help others do the same, what, what, what if as you're having a conversation with a friend that you just talk about maybe something God showed you tonight, just an ordinary conversation, what if God uses that to begin the process of planting a seed in that friend's life who then later that friend ends up deciding they want to follow Jesus? And what if not only they follow Jesus, what if God calls them to be a missionary someplace across the world, to be a pastor or something like that, and all of a sudden they, they end up before they die leading thousands of people to Jesus. And when you trace it all back, this extraordinary movement of God, it all got traced back to an ordinary conversation you had in a cafeteria at your school. You realize every extraordinary moment that God has done started with something ordinary? So how, how do you start seeing those things? I'm going to give you a couple things, just challenge you to do. Here, here's something that you can do. Tonight, and maybe make a commitment for a week or so, before you go to bed, as you lay down, pull those covers up, lay your head back on the pillow, before you drift off to sleep, just spend some time saying a short prayer and reflecting back on your day. Just start back, and, and when you got up in the morning to brushing your teeth, to getting on the bus, to going to school, first period, second period, whatever, and, and, and pray this prayer, God, as I, as I think back through my day, would you show me some moments where you were moving that I missed? That simple prayer. God, show me some moments that I missed because I wasn't paying attention. You know what's going to happen? The Spirit of God is going to start bringing some moments to your life, and you're going to be like, oh, okay. 
And as you do that over the next couple of nights, maybe for a week, you're going you're gonna to then step into some moments tomorrow or the next day, and, and you're going to be more aware. You're going to be like, God, is this one of those moments? And you're going to sense the Holy Spirit and go, yeah, this is one of those moments. And all of a sudden, you're stepping into an extraordinary thing that God's about to do out of an ordinary day. Reflect on it. Some of you guys are journalers. If you like to write, diary, journal, something like that, maybe you just journal back through your day, just some things, and when God speaks, just write it down. Here's another thing I encourage you to do, challenge you to do. If you go, man, I can't, as soon as I lay down my head on that pillow, I fall asleep. Set an alarm in your phone for 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, and from 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock, or 2 o'clock to 3, I don't care when, just take an hour and try to be very intentional about praying all throughout that hour. Now, that doesn't mean that, like, you're going to walk through the cloud, you know, hallways with your eyes closed and your hands folded. Like, what I'm saying, though, is during that hour, as you're walking into geometry to go, Lord, I want you to show me some moments in geometry. And you sit down at your desk and go, God, it's just a quick prayer. God, is there anybody around me that you, that you want me to have a moment with today? God, is there something I can pray for my teacher about? God, is there, is, is the way I do my classwork, the way I do my homework, guys, is there something that I need to do in such a way that speaks to you and, and points to you, Jesus? And, and as you leave geometry and you head to the next place and you're walking down the hallway, just praying for people, guys, is there anybody in here that I need to, that I'm walking down the hallway that I need to say to you? And just, just, throughout, just for an hour, try to discipline yourself to talk to God and just to be aware of what he's doing. And here's what's going to happen. If you'll do that a couple of times, the amazing thing is going to happen if you're walking with the Lord. As you're doing those things, you're going to start sensing his spirit going, that person, smile at that person. Say something encouraging right there. And what you don't know is you're planting the seeds of the extraordinary. It's easy. Extraordinary life isn't just about going on a year-long mission trip to Siberia where there's no people and you freeze to death for Jesus. You know? Extraordinary doesn't have to be, you know what, over the Christmas break, I'm going to read the entire Bible in the two weeks I have off because I'm going to be extraordinary. Jesus came to the ordinary, and he's going to do extraordinary things in it. We've got to start looking for it. So, so here's, let me give you an example of how, what this looks like. So Ally Bank, Austin is one of these cities. Ally Bank has taken 100 pennies. Now, they're not really pennies. They look like pennies. They're little copper coins the size of a penny. And they've laid them around about 12 different cities in America. <clears throat> San Diego, L.A., Austin's one of them. And on the penny, on the flip side, it says 1,000. I think I got a picture of it. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Find one, you can win $1,000. They're giving away 100 pennies, $1,000. They're giving away $100,000. And here's what they said. As a bank, they're trying to get people to see that, that money's valuable. And we throw away as Americans millions of dollars of change every year. We lose it. It disappears. They had a guy that came to their bank they told the story of. He'd just been saving his coins for years, and he turned in the bank, and he had $5,000 worth of coins. I mean, several years, he just saved them up. So to get their point across, they're putting pennies just on the ground in cities, and, and they're advertising it so that people like you and me, I'll tell you what, if I'm in Austin anytime soon, I'm going to be looking on the ground for pennies, and I'm going to look down and be like, there's one. I'm going to pick it up and be like, that's Abraham Lincoln. Great. You know, that's, that's literally a penny. That's worth, you know, one cent. But I'm now, people are now looking for the ordinary. They're intentional about trying to find the extraordinary $1,000 in the ordinary penny. They're being, they're being purposeful. Their eyes are open. And that's what we're talking about, looking for what God is doing so that you can join him in what he's doing. 
tell you this story, and then we're, we're going to do a short prayer time. David's going to come and lead us in that. There's a young man. Uh, well, he's probably not so young anymore. His name's Austin Gutwine. And Austin Gutwine was in school, and he was learning about HIV and AIDS, and he was learning about the toll that it was taking on, on families. And he learned, I think that's every minute, I think the statistic's right, that every minute 6,000 kids across the world are orphaned. I think it's every minute because of HIV, AIDS. And they're being added to the 15 million orphans that are already out there. And he heard the story, and he was just like, man, I want to do something. He was a, young, he was a teenager. What, what do you do to, to impact 15 million people? And so what he did is he went home, and um, maybe it's 6,000 a day, because he went home, I don't know exactly what it was. He went home, and he shot 2,057 free throws. So it must be like 6,000 a day, because it was for every kid who was orphaned while he was in school that day. And so he talked about doing it. He just wanted to bring awareness to what was happening. So he went after school and shot free throws until he made 2,057 of them. Well, people caught wind that he was going to do it, and they started pledging. And through that, he raised $3,000. And he took that $3,000, and he gave it to an organization called World Vision, and World Vision used it to put eight orphans into homes. And that story caught on. And now he has an organization that's called Hoops for Hope. And they've, they've raised over $2.5 million by shooting free throws. Changed the world. He's built a school He's built four dormitories. He's built two medical treatment plants. He's got another school, I believe, being built in India, probably built by now, doing all kinds of things. But you know what? It's just an ordinary kid with an ordinary basketball, an ordinary hoop. And God used the ordinary to do something extraordinary. But you've got to be looking. You've got, you got to be going, God, what, what would you have me do? Next week, YouTube night. Between now and YouTube night and then over this Christmas holidays. Spend some time reflecting on your day, journaling. Spend some time going, talking to God. Just block out an hour and, and just try to pray consistently through that hour to get in the habit of just talking to God as you go through the day and be looking for the extraordinary in your ordinary.